Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mentor Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. This week, we have our very first guest, Iako Khalili. Iako is a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He's well-versed in multiple martial arts, was part of the Army Combatives Program's founding, and was considered to be the godfather of Army Combatives. Iako grew up in Hawaii, spent an entire career in the Army, in both infantry units, uh, was also a member of the 82nd Airborne, and then ultimately transitioned into teaching combatives for the Army. And then post-career is the head of security for Five Finger Death Punch. He's also worked with multiple different celebrities as well as their security detail, and recently got involved with Tim Kennedy's Sheepdog Response Company, teaching self-defense and weapon skills to civilians. So really excited to have him on. He has been a mentor to John Herrera for a long time. Uh, I just started to get to know Iako not long ago through jiu-jitsu, and I figured he would be a great person to get on the podcast as a first guest, just not only because of the experiences that he had in the military and martial arts, but also just the fact that he has such a unique perspective, having worked with Five Finger Death Punch and now working with Sheepdog Response as well. So thank you for tuning in. And this is episode number two with Yako Khalili. All right, everybody, welcome to the Mentor Podcast. We have our first guest of the podcast today, Iako Khalili. Thanks for joining us. Um, bef- before we get started with any sort of actual questions, if you wouldn't mind, just kind of give everybody an introduction to your life, uh, your experiences as a child. You know, I know you just shared a little bit with us, but also your time in the military, some of your work experiences as well. Yeah, so I was born and raised in uh, Kona, Hawaii. It's a small small town on the Big Island, Hawaii. Um, it's, it's real famous for for co- Kona Coffee and like to get the biggest billfish tournament there. And that's where the uh, Ironman triathlon is held. Uh, but I was raised by uh, my mom, basically. My mom and my grandmother are both uh, kumuhulas, which is like like the best thing you could be when it, when it comes to Hawaii. They're like super famous athletes, I guess you can say. My grandmother won the uh, the Mary Monarch three times. Uh, so I was raised by real real strong women. Um, I joined the army in 1997 after I graduated high school. I wrestled in high school a little bit, which is you know kind of what led me into my martial arts career. My cousins were all black belts in in karate, but because of my grappling, my grappling influence, I was able to uh, transition to MMA real well. We spent a lot of time in uh, as kids in the yard, like sparring each other, putting on gear, and kind of like just fighting a lot. And in Hawaii, fighting is more of a it's more normalized, and that's kind of how you um, had pride. Was you guys just got together and got into little fist fights, and whoever's knows, you know, bled first, lost, and you just move on to the next person. So, you know, where I'm from, fighting isn't really frowned upon. It's part of the culture, and and it's I'm real happy that I was able to grow up that way because it it led me into being real good MMA fighter and a real good good jujitsu guy. So transitioning from being a teenager into being an adult. And we'll get into the formal questions here in a second, but I want to get more about your biography. So what when did you decide to join the Army? And talk a little bit about your experiences in the Army, like what you did in the Army, kind of your resume, and then why you chose to do those things. Between my freshman and sophomore year, I go to this leadership camp for a week uh, where they, you know, they teach you all of these other things, and I'm in. So now I'm in. I do that. I go to my, my guidance class t- uh, says, pick a career and then do the research on it. And I was already interested in the military. So I, I do research on being a military officer. And that's kind of when I decided I was going to join the army. So I'm, you know, yeah. I'm 15 years old and I'm like, this, this is it. I'm going to be, I'm going to be in the army. On, on top of that, you know, when I was watching GI Joe yeah. and watching snake eyes, Oh and, man, these guys are badass. Yeah. I'll yeah. Be, right. I'm like, dude, how do I be like that? Yeah. You know what I mean? The only way to, you know, the only way to do it is to be in the army. So yeah. I wanted to be in the army since I was in 10th grade. Um, 
I joined the National Guard after my junior year. So after junior year of high school, I go to basic training. I go to basic and AIT for, for infantry. I come back and I do my senior year in high school. And like after doing real life stuff, high school was just like, it's a side it's a side project. Yeah. At so that did point. your parents sign off for you to do it at 17? Yes, they did. Okay, gotcha. You know, my yeah, stepdad gotcha. was like, yeah, he's going to go. And, yeah. it, and you know, where I'm from, my, my little small town, and I call it a small town, but it's it's super famous. I'm from Kona, Hawaii, where Kona yeah. Coffee is from. Mm. That's where they have the biggest billfish tournaments in the world. Mm. That's where they do the, the Ironman triathlon. Yeah. You know, that's so Kona is super famous, but to us, it's just, it's just Kona. Just home, yeah. Right. But every single person that just hangs out there ends up getting into drugs or they don't do much. So, like, my, my stepdad was just trying to get me out of there. Mm. You know yeah. what I mean? And that's why I also don't sound like a lot of people from Hawaii because my stepdad was like, you need to fix your accent. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Dang, you can still kind of hear some of it. Yeah. yeah but he was sure. like, you know what? You're not going to go. You're not going to go somewhere and sound like an idiot, you know. So <laughs> yeah. he made sure that make sure you're well spoken, and, right? Yeah. Better spoken at least, you know. Yeah. What I mean, I still, um, you know, being in the infantry and being from Hawaii, <laughs> you still yeah. hear some of those things. Absolutely, but, some cultural um, influence there, right? But my stepdad just made sure I was able to to speak, you know, differently, so that I didn't sound so people would take me more seriously, basically. Yeah. Uh, but I'm in the National Guard for a year and a half um, during my senior year, which does some cool experiences. But you know, I just as soon as I graduated, I was like, I need to go active. Um, I go active. They sent me back to basic and EIT, which was awesome the second time. Why did they do that? Um, my National Guard unit was upset that I left. And, okay. Because, you know, they're all run on numbers and all that. And I was like, I'm leaving. And it wasn't the best uh, departure. So they lost all my information. Mm. Um, mm. So I go back to basic and EIT for infantry, which is awesome the second time. Like I said, it was so much fun the second time just because I knew what to expect. Yeah, more experience. Right. It was, yeah. it was just funny. It's just funny. All these guys are like, they're going to smoke you if yeah. you don't. I'm like, they're going to smoke You're us like, anyway. Yeah, but okay. Happen, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we're yeah. getting our asses smoked. And it's so funny. It's so funny the second time. Uh, but after a year and a half in the National Guard, I think I'm this, you know, I know everything and I go to airborne school and, I, and you know, I, I go to my first unit, which is Fort Bragg, North Carolina, mm. where I'm an infantry, you know, squad member. And it, it was uh, it was rough because I was, uh, they put all of the brown guys in one platoon. And this is back in 1997, <laughs> yeah, 96, man. 97. Yeah. And it was still a little bit racist back then, um, which I, I understand completely, you know, like. You don't even see too many airborne brown people. You know, there is mostly white dudes. Yeah, which, you know, it's come it a long way. It is. Yeah, it's come a long way for sure. Yeah. Um, and I didn't do any training back then, so I still was in training. Um, and I was actually going to get out of the army then because I hated I hated the way they were treating me. You know, mm-hmm. the the army wasn't what I had thought it was at the time, and it was hard. Obviously, you know, being in an airborne unit like the 82nd uh, Airborne Division, it's you know they're they're pushing you, mm-hmm. and I was like, I'm going to get out. And then my reenlistment window came up, and the recruiter was like, well, the, the career council was like, listen, if you reenlist, we'll send you to Hawaii. I was like, let's go. Uh, yeah, I'm in. So within 90 days, I'm in Hawaii. Yeah, yeah. And it's a huge culture shock as far as the Army's concerned because at Fort Bragg, it's, you know, everybody's like, everybody's like tense and it's hard and all that. In Hawaii, it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. Everybody's laid back. Mm-hmm. And I immediately am like, okay, I can actually make myself important here. So I started, you know, I started being a leader. I started, uh, it's when I got promoted to, to sergeant, uh, went to air, I went to air assault school and I got uh, honor grad there. And that's really when I fell in love with being a leader in the army. Um, it's also the same time I started training MMA. Mm. Um, I went to this fight downtown and I was like, you know, this one gym was just beating everybody. And it was, you know, I had always uh, been watching the UFC when it's, when it came out and I was like, I want to do that. And I never really had the opportunity, but then I go to this MMA fight. And I'm like, I got to find this gym. You know, back then, really, the internet was what it was back then. Mm-hmm. Back in, you know, I think it was like 2000. But I found the gym. I found the location. I started training. And for two years, I got my butt beat. Yeah. Um, before I even submitted anybody at that gym. That's you know? how it is, though, man. Even, you know, whether you're talking MMA or striking or jiu-jitsu, it's like before you really get your feet under you, you don't. You're you're a fish out of water. You don't know what's going on. Most people don't. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. You know, obviously, yeah. if you're like Adam or Ramiko or one of these guys that's transitioned from a life lifetime of wrestling, that's different. But even but that's I a mean, martial art. Yeah. You know, it totally is martial art. It totally is martial yeah. art. So you, what you were you were like green green though. Like no, I, I saw I wrestled in high school, and this you know I wrestled in high school, but and and I always caveat that with I wrestled in high school in Hawaii, and I, and the reason I say that is because Hawaii's not known for their wrestling. Yeah. 
you know um but my my coach was a, a judo black belt at the time so all of our guys were like judo based wrestling yeah lots and I was of throws really and hard flips, to take down yeah i got my my takedown defense was insane yeah. um i would allow people to shoot on me and if you can still you still kind of see it now people will shoot on me and i wouldn't even sprawl i, say, I can attest to that now your yeah. takedown defense is yeah, really good. good yeah, yeah. so my takedown so, defense is still yeah. pretty good but back then I mean, because i was a, a kind of a judo wrestler <laughs> it was hard to take down and that's kind of carried me into you know to now you know mm. this is you know 25 years later or whatever it is um, but I wasn't completely green. I did have some. I did okay. have some wrestling, and yep. and uh, you know, and I said earlier that um, me and my cousins used to to fight each other. So my kickboxing was actually pretty decent. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I was actually a kickboxer with takedown defense at the time. Yeah. Um, Not a but, bad place to be. You know, yeah. That's good. Yeah. But everybody at my gym. So we didn't have classes at my gym. I trained at this gym called Grappling Unlimited, mm. uh, which was Egan and Noye. And instant noise oh, yeah. jam. Yeah, from, from yeah, absolutely. They fought yeah, pride, yeah, right? absolutely. Yep. They both yep. fun pride. Um, yeah, uh, Egan and Insip. I, I think Egan actually has a submission win over Randy Couture back then. Oh really? You know, in so pride? This, not in pride, but oh, it, was, okay. it was in a smaller organization. But this is you know back in 2000, 2000 between two thousand two thousand three. Um, but you know there are guys like Barry Yoshida that was training there, mm. who was at the time he had already competed in Abu Dhabi three or four times. Yeah, we had placed you know second. He's consistently placing second yeah. or third there. Um, just a solid, a solid place to train. Yeah, really good it was location. a lot yeah. of legends. Like if you, if you look, if you go old school, a lot of those guys trained in my gym. Yeah, you know what I mean. But we didn't have any classes. It was it was open mat from five to nine o'clock, and the way open mat works is you kind of like how it works now. Yeah, except it was MMA. Good luck. Just get your ass beat all the time, right? So yeah, yeah. So whatever, whatever gear you brought, if you brought kickboxing gear, you were getting beat up for hours. You know, if you got, if you just brought no gi stuff, which is what we did, we didn't do any gi. Um, you got rolled up for four hours and you just sat there until somebody was like, Hey, you want to roll and beat you up for however long they wanted to. And then you go sit down and then wait for the next person. You know, so it was really hard coming up. Um, there's a lot of guys recycling through that gym. And, uh, and I think that's kind of why they didn't really pay attention to me back then because they were mm -hmm. just waiting for me to leave. Okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I wasn't in the group, you know, yeah. I wasn't in the tight group of guys that were already training. Well, there. even when I started in 2007, I mean, that was kind of a similar culture. It was like, oh, we don't expect this guy to be Absolutely. around very long. You know, so, you know, just kind of put them in the corner, teach yep. them something every now and then. But yeah, then, and then did those guys somebody. ever teach you, like, did Barrett Yoshida or Ensign, did they ever teach you anything at those, like, open mats? No, it was just, no. it was just rolling. It was yeah. just rolling and you just had to, you just had to tough it out, you know. And, and then when you made it into the, when you made it into the crew, then they would train you. Mm. And, and that's when they would coach you. Yeah. Up until then, you were just, you had were to just build the that, guy getting yeah, rolled up. You know, first. Yeah. yeah, we would train yeah. guys for MMA fights and you would sit on the outside of the ring and rotate through you know and the coaching wasn't for you it was for the guy who had the fight coming yeah. up yep yeah. you know if a guy had a tournament coming up you were just in there getting beat up and mm -hmm. they were only coaching them mm -hmm. you know and I, unfortunately i left that place before i was able to be a part of that small right. that small crew even though right. i did fight for him a couple times yeah i got uh three mma fights uh, out of that <coughs> out of that gym before i moved back to fort back north carolina okay um but it, it taught me a lot about being tough and about um resiliency and about you know I, I wanted to be part of that that anchor mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. certainly so then you you go back to fort bragg talk about your career until retirement from there yeah so i go back to fort bragg i got levied there actually um and this was after 9 11 you know 9 11 happens when i'm stationed in hawaii and i think they're gearing up you know so we go back to we go to fort bragg um and we get deployed to iraq mm -hmm. you know we're, we're part of the invasion and, and we're there all the way through to uh, the battle of fallujah um, our mission was to, to patrol the highways between Fallujah and um, um, the airport there and, and the prison, you know, highways 1 and 10, and that whole thing it was being deployed. Um, got blown up a couple times, got in a bunch of firefights, and then I re-enlist. I re-enlist in Iraq for Fort Benning. You know? mm -hmm. So go back a little bit. So in Hawaii, um, so in 1997, Matt Larson, who was starting first class Matt Larson at the time, uh, founded the Army Combatives Program. Mm -hmm. I'm stationed in Hawaii, and he comes to Hawaii to teach a Combatives Level 1. And I was already training at the time uh, off post, and he's impressed with me, obviously, because back then nobody was really training. Yeah. Um, he says, hey, you ever make it to Fort Benning, I'll give you a job. Mm. So I get laid to Fort Bragg, get deployed to Iraq, come back, go to jump master school, and I'm, I'm, wait, I'm just waiting to leave at this point. I get to Fort Benning, and they're trying to make me a, uh, a an instructor at the Airborne School. Matt Larson shows up, the replacement, and picks me up. He's like, cool. "No, nah, this guy's coming with us." Nice, that's cool. Nice. Yeah. So super, nice. super. I recruited super out awesome. of there. That's awesome. Yeah, super awesome. He shows up. The guy who found the program shows mm -hmm. up and, and comes and gets me, and I jump right into 
teaching um, Kabbalah's level three at the time. Mm. And I just spent the next seven and Matt Larson's years. been a jiu-jitsu black belt for a long time, correct? Yes. I think yeah. I met him a couple times. Was yeah. he a jiu-jitsu black belt uh, as he was starting the <clears throat> Kabbalah's program? No. So he, okay. was a, he was a karate black belt. Okay. Um, which he lived in Japan for a long time and traded the coding on, you know what I mean? So he's like mm-hmm. a legit cool karate experience. guy. Yeah. Um, and he was, you know, he was a, a career, a military dude. He was in the Marines and then joined the Army. He was a, was a Ranger Battalion dude um, at Fort Lewis. And and then, you know, eventually he got his black belt uh, from Jacare Kabakani in, in Atlanta. And Jacare helped us build the program with the program you because know, it is uh, mainly uh, jiu-jitsu based. Mm. Um, but yeah, so when I met him, he was a, he was a black belt. But um, now he, he, you know, just like everybody else, he kind of paid his dues to yeah, to, okay. to go a black belt. Yeah, cool. certainly. Um, but from 2004 to 2011, when I left, it was just us trying to grow this program. Those when I first started working, there was seven of us there, and we were all blue belts or or purple belts. So not to interrupt belt. you, you were fortunate enough though for a large portion of your career to to work primarily in the combatives aspect of the army. Yeah, right? so my job that had from, to be just so much fun. It was it was it was great. You know, yeah. from from four and almost until I retired, that was my only job. That's for awesome. Thirteen years. That's awesome. That's all I did was was teach people how to fight. And mm. It was it was kickboxing and boxing and jujitsu and wrestling. Well, and that comes and, from like you have this love for martial arts. Yeah, and for then sure. being able to transition that into you know really aiding you in your military career to the point where that's that's really all you were doing for the last you know stint of your career that's that's pretty cool man mm-hmm. yeah the, the the thing about teaching about is, is like it does not further your career at all yeah you know what i mean so people a lot of for one at the time combatants didn't have a combatants manual so we were just in this fake job with with nothing to to say that this is what we are supposed to do in the army mm-hmm. you know what i mean so a lot of people were like if you do that you're not going to get promoted i'm like awesome yeah, you know what I mean. Like, uh, you're like I love what you where find I'm at, out man. later, right? What yeah. you find out later is quality of life is more important than money. Certainly, quality of life is more important than career progression, um, and that's why I, I, I so I tell a lot of people these you know these days like I need to get promoted. Like, yeah, you do, but you know, how's your job? Like, do you like your job? Do you enjoy your life? You know right. what I mean? Um, we were super fortunate enough as combatives instructors to to do both. Mm. You know, we didn't care about promotions. We didn't care about career progression. Really, the importance became for me was taking care of soldiers and training them. Absolutely. Not. Um, at the same time, obviously, I was able to, to become really good at fighting, in my, in my opinion. Wow, what a cool um, opportunity. That's yeah, it awesome. was awesome. cool to be, paid, to be paid to do it, you know? Yeah, and yeah, I, I cool. earned my jiu-jitsu black belt yeah. Yeah, yeah, doing yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. From, from Matt Larson? I got it from Matt Larson. Okay. Uh, he, he awarded it to me. And then a year later, I got it from Jacare Kawagani. Oh, cool. Um, which, is, which is a huge honor for me, mm-hmm. um, obviously, because he's, you know, he's super close to... Um, to the top you know he got his uh he got his black belt from from holes gracie who got mm-hmm. his um you know holes for the for people that don't know holes is like the the best of the best mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. especially the the gracie family just absolutely legit so yeah i like to say that um the same person that hickson got his black belt from exactly exactly yep. jacare awarded me mine you know right. what i mean so that's that's how close i am to to the source of it so to speak um, cool. yeah when i think historically of like People I look up to in you know in the past with Jiu-Jitsu, Holtz Gracie always comes to mind right off the bat. So that's that's yeah, very definite, cool. Definite legend, and uh, you know, it's it's honored to be associated with that that line of uh, that lineage of Jiu-Jitsu. So so you spent years doing combatives, right? Teaching combatives. Is that how you finished out your career in the army too? Uh, so uh, when I I had to reclass because I you know I just got too injured in the army um, being an infantryman. I had to reclass. And fortunate enough that that reclassification sent me to Fort Carson. Mm. Um, I was gonna, I went to to be an ADM Mike, which is a truck driver, and they sent me to Fort Carson to do that. But when I got here, I showed up a month early because you know I was a, I was kind of high speed, and mm. I didn't I didn't want to show up to my unit out of shape, so I showed up a month early to acclimate. Um, I was training at the combative school here on on post, and they said, "Hey, tenth group is looking for a combative dude." Cool. So the next day I go to tenth group and nice. I have an open mat and I roll with all those guys and I like we want you. Nice. So uh, when I got here I was teaching. Uh, I was uh, part of the SAPAL committee, which is the Special Forces Advanced Urban Combat Course, which is kind of those guys. I'm not gonna say they teach the Green Brace how to shoot and fight, but they definitely uh, put them through. Like, it's like a five week course. Mm-hmm. We shoot yeah. all day. Or we'll, you know we did combatives in the morning first, and then we go to the range. Keeping their skills up. For yeah, sure. we do combatives yeah. in the morning, and then we'd go to the, the shoot house. We do combatives in the morning, and you know go go do this thing. And I was I was the combatives guy for that, so I got to sit in and participate in a lot of that training. But it was honestly like it was really like the the culmination for me of bringing tactical shooting and fighting 
um, together. Because mm. at first I was I was either as an infantryman I was either shooting and clearing houses, but there was no fighting. Or I was a combatant instructor while I was fighting, but I wasn't really shooting that much. Right. Yeah. So moving a tent group was uh, allowed me to put both of those things together and put everything in perspective. You know what I mean? So like, how do we transition if you know from shooting shooting guns into fighting, or or how do we fight with guns and you know how do we clear rooms when things are blowing up and guys are fighting at us fighting us some guys are shooting at us we can't shoot everybody so now what do we do right yeah you know what i mean so it was, it, that was that's really a good training and tenth group really put all of those things together for me and gave me a appreciation of of, of transitioning uh, mm. from one aspect of fighting to the other very gotcha. cool so very then cool. you did you finish out your career at fort carson then I did, yes. Okay. I retired in 2017. So this this kind of leads right into the question that I was going to ask, actually, yeah. since you didn't necessarily uh, go in depth with this. How did you get connected with Five Finger Death Punch? Because you're the head of security for Five Finger Death Punch, is that yes, right? Yes, my head of security, uh, security director for Five Finger Death Punch. Um, so back in 2003, the civilian guy, uh, his name is John Simons. Um, he's a he's a black belt as well. Um, he got his black belt under under Hoist Gracie and 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 again later, but from Dave Camarillo. Mm. Uh, so he's a pretty legit dude. He came to our course because he wanted to teach combatives at Fort Lee and at Fort Eustis, but had but had to be certified to do so. So he comes down to Fort Benning and we meet him. You know, fast forward years later, he's the head of security for Five Grand Death Punch. Okay. And he calls me one day in, in 2015 and said, "Hey, um, I got to start running my academy." Um, and I'm kind of burned out from the road. Do you want to do this job? I'm like, absolutely. Yeah, that's a pretty cool opportunity. Yeah, it was yeah. crazy because they were coming to they're coming to Colorado Springs. They were mm-hmm. playing at the World Arena. Um, so he's like, come down, work work uh, the VIP section for me, and we'll see what happens from there. Mm-hmm. So I come down and meet the band. Um, you know, it's, uh, Chris Kale's a, a Muay Thai guy. He's the martial arts dude. At the time, Zoltan was already a black belt in judo, and it was a purple belt in jujitsu. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, so they're you know they're looking for somebody with with martial arts experience, they can kind of help them train on the road. Um, and Zoltan was kind of seeing where the climate was going as far as security, and he wanted somebody with tactical experience as mm-hmm. well. So I fit right in. I fit right in for that. A um, couple of days later after the concert, they call me, and they, they fly me out to, to Memphis, and I start working for them. And Zoltan's the lead guitarist, right? Yes, he's okay. the lead guitarist, and right. he's kind of like the guy that kind of runs the show behind behind the scenes, too. And so, I mean, I know he just got his black belt in jiu-jitsu, right? Yep, just got his black belt. So, I mean, it's it sounds like obviously going doing concerts would be a lot of fun. But how frequently were you guys training while you're on the road and touring with them? Uh, so the the frequency of training depends on you know from day to day. But we take mats everywhere we go. Nice, that's cool. We have we have rollout mats that goes everywhere we go. Mm-hmm. We have four of them, real big, big long ones. I take a huge bag of uh, of kickboxing stuff for when Chris Kale wants to go and. You know, we do personal training with these guys, so we have weights and and bikes and. So you got a couple of roles there. You're not just head of their security, but you're like, hey, you know, if we want to train, let's go get with Yakov today. Let's do a little jujitsu. Let's do a little muay thai. Absolutely. And so you're, you're like an instructor, but you're also the head of security. Yeah, that's you know, cool. During the day, during the day, I have nothing to do but yeah. hang out with the band. So we we'll roll the mats out or put nice, the gloves man. on, and we'll yeah. hit minutes and roll. And that's a good deal. Yeah, it's awesome. It's super awesome, and it also it provides me a. a a way to train while we're on the road and I'm able to either go to other gyms, like say the guys that want to train that day, I'll find a gym that's close by and Uber there and train. Mm -hmm. Or if I have black belts or friends in town, I'll fly. Well, they'll come to the concert. Yeah. Well, they'll come to the venue. We'll train, we'll shower, we'll eat dinner and watch the show together. It's it's super awesome. How many concerts, if you had to guess, have you been to as the head of security? Uh, It's been a lot. Yeah, well, you've so, toured with them a few times now. Yeah. I've done many, many, many tours with them. I've toured Europe at least uh, four times with them. I've toured the U.S. at least, you know, five or six times. It's it's a lot. I, I have, a, have a map on my phone, and uh, and I plot every single place that we do a show. Yeah. I love it, man. That's um, awesome. It's it's my map is getting it's getting more and more green because I use the green dots uh, for it, and uh, it's 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 been a lot of concerts for sure. So I think that you you probably have an exposure to a population of people that most people don't have in that they're you know well known musicians, celebrities, right? Um, is your perception that they're just kind of regular people, you know? Cause I think like the average person's like, Oh man, five finger death punch or any sort of artist for that matter. They're, they're not a regular person, you know, they're, they're larger than life. So you having that intimate perspective with them, has that kind of changed your outlook or your view on what high level musicians are like? Um, so I, you know, for these guys to get into the position that they're in, they have to be larger than life, mm-hmm. you know, and they really are, you know what I mean? Like Zoltan, if you look at Zoltan on Instagram, 
really look at especially Chris Gale and especially Ivan honestly like those that's them that's mm-hmm. who they are they if you ever catch Zoltan or Chris Kale or, or Ivan out on the street, they're almost wearing the same clothes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're wearing yeah. on stage. Yeah. Right? So it's, it's yeah. not because, you know, they're not wearing some costume. Right. Um, Ivan might paint his face and he might wear a different shirt, but that's those that's, that's those guys. Those guys yeah. are, are, are are badass. You know, they're they're great at what they do. Um, they are larger than life, but just like anybody else, you know, they, they have they have some downtime, you know, like <clears throat> Zoltan's constantly working. Mm-hmm. You, you never see him not on his phone and he's on his phone sending emails and, and chatting with people to make these huge business you know decisions and planning future tours so that guy is like that's what he does you know mm-hmm. chris kale he, he's kind of doing the same thing but he's uh he's having a little bit more he's allowed to have a little bit more fun than zoltan yeah, is and yeah. and ivan's always coming up with some some crazy thing you know like having conversations with ivan is uh is interesting because he'll come up with some stuff and you're like this is nuts and then he pulls it off and you're like okay well maybe it wasn't that that nuts right uh, so they are they are uh special individuals um but you know, the, 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 I would say that the, the personas that they put out on stage is, is pretty close to their actual personalities. That's cool. That's cool. Very That's cool. good to know. Very cool. Okay, so next question for you. Um, you've had a lot of different experience, different walks of life. You're currently involved in security. You're currently involved in jiu-jitsu still. That's how, you know, you and I have become friends. Mm-hmm. Um, you had a long career in the military. Uh, who were some of the different mentors in the different areas. So mentors you've met through the military, mentors you met through jiu-jitsu, and that one will be, I think, easy right now. You and I share a mentor in jiu-jitsu right now. Absolutely. Um, and then mentors you've met through through security, and and how'd you meet them? Who are they? What have they done? That's where we'll start. Yeah, also yeah, I think back to uh, my coach, my wrestling coach in high school. Uh, his name was Wally. Um, he was probably my first like legit well besides my my grandmother and my mother but he was like the first like sport um oriented mentor he was we had a we had a real good team of wrestlers who were you know one year we took second in state which you know in in hawaii it's not really a big deal but we're we're not a private school uh we're come from you know we come from kona you know, usually it's like a private school thing where they take first place. But mm-hmm. Coach Wally was able to get us together and and push us and teach us and and get us to 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 be you know some the best once the second best team in the state, which is you know it's uh, I don't even know if it's it's been accomplished since then for, as far as my my school's concerned. Um, but I remember crying to him one day that the guys had the guys had like they have hazed me right you know, yeah yeah me yeah up and they were like <laughs> grinding my face on the mat and i go to him and i you know i'm like i'm bawling my eyes out and i'm upset and i'm like these guys you know did whatever you know and he was like okay like so now what what are you gonna do now yeah and i'm like What's your well reaction? it's not fair you know it's not fair he's like okay well so what's fair what would be fair and i was like one-on-one so he grabbed one of the guys who happened to be the team captain he's like so you want to fight this guy and i was like no <laughs> he's like no. okay so now what what are you gonna do you know he's like he's like you're gonna cry about it or you're gonna get better at it you know and it's kind of yeah. like that was the first thing where i was like you know what yeah crying's not gonna help me no man you know, getting better is gonna help you yeah worrying yeah. about the problem you know that's kind of where i learned like worrying about the problem is not what's gonna get us through the problem you know mm-hmm. how we how do we get to the solution you know and that's that's what he taught me so that was my first thing of like you know don't worry about the problem like what, what can we do now? What can we do now? Now now that they've beat you up, you know, yeah. how are you going to fix it? You can it? train harder. You can. Yeah. You know, so I had to get, you know, I still, I, I can beat them out now probably. Yeah. But yeah. back then it, it was impossible, yeah. you know. Um, my second mentor that I could think about was, uh, he was my platoon sergeant when I became a squad leader in Hawaii. I was, a, I was I just got promoted to E5. And nine months after I got E5, they, he made me a squad leader, which is unheard of in the infantry. Mm. An E5 squad leader in infantry is unheard of. And he did it. He's like, you know, what? yeah, I like the way you you, you uh, run your your team, so I want to make you a squad leader. And he allowed me to uh, have freedom. I, that's why I was training my guys. I would I was able to do PT with them like a half an hour like before everybody else. I didn't have to go to formation because he he knew that I I kind of like took care of my guys. And yeah. I was doing the right thing. Yeah. Um. But he was the one that taught me how to take care of other people. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like it's not really it's not always about the mission. You know, we, in the army we have this thing called mission first. And what's it? It really, really, what that means is you don't matter. Only accomplishment of the mission matters. But he taught me that you, it's impossible to accomplish the mission without your guys. Yeah, take care of your people. Yeah, and if you guys don't trust you, if you guys don't like you, they're not going to work for you. Hmm. Um, so, and so that's kind of what I learned from him was, you know, take care of your guys first, 
and they're going to love you and then they'll do anything for you. Absolutely. You know, and I, that was definitely proven. These guys were like, they're like a pack of wolves. You know, if I call them on somebody, it was, they didn't care who it was. It was on even him. Mm. You know, one, one day I'm like, you know, I, I, I love this guy. Um, but we, you know, we'd prank him all the time. We'd grab him and throw him in the water or we'd grab him and, you know, beat him up a little bit. But yeah. my guys didn't, they loved me so much. They were willing to take whatever heat came, came yeah. in after that, you Certainly. know, just because yeah. of the stuff that he taught me. Right. Um, but that was, that was super valuable when it comes to, you know, learning how to take care of people. And then, um, another one was, was obviously Matt Larson, who was the founder of, of the Army Combatants program. He's the one that he, he created a program that allowed me to do what I loved, but mm. he also gave me the opportunity to do it. Mm. You know, he uh, went out of his way to make sure I got the job and, and kind of, you know, they call him the father of modern armed combatives. Um, but because of him, they call me the godfather of modern armed combatives. <laughs> you know, because I kind of took, I didn't really take over for him, yeah. but I kind of took over what he was trying to do. You know yeah. what I mean? So I was able, I taught a lot of the classes and I wrote a lot of the, I helped write a lot of the, uh, the verbiage in the book and stuff like that. So I kind of picked up where he left mm-hmm. off and, and, Really, if it wasn't for combatives, I wouldn't be the head of security for for anything. I mm. wouldn't be a black belt. I mean, maybe I would have been. Maybe it would have took longer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but he's the one that really uh, gave me the opportunity and the drive to. I love that. To be good at what I what I do. Yeah. yeah. And then now, yeah, our our our, our shared mentor, um, Professor Marcelo, um, to this day, you know, he he allows me to come in and he, he trains with me and teaches me lessons every single day, and it's it's awesome because, you know. I try. I, I I always say that I'm kind of like self-made as far as like a fighter and an MMA yeah. as an MMA guy and a mm-hmm. jujitsu guy, because we all kind of came up together. All of my friends were all the same rank and the same belt, and I ended up being you know the head coach of our of our fight team uh, in Alabama and Georgia. So I never really was the student. Yeah, I was always either an instructor or a coach or something like that. I, I very rarely had had or and had the opportunity to be a student. Um, and Marcelo, since you know 2010 or 2011, when he when he showed up and I moved here at the same time, kind of thing was has always been that guy for me. Yeah, cool. he's a, he's a great instructor, and you know from that perspective, just from my observations to you, is you you are a great student, and you and I talked about this a little bit prior, um, but you are so willing to come into a room and absorb information enthusiastically from whoever's teaching. I mean. I always felt good. I mean, I was teaching a lot as a brown belt. And you were, you've been a black belt since 2010. I just got my black belt two years ago. And so, and, you know, like Lee's the same way. I would get super intimidated. Like, yeah. oh, man, Yakov just showed up. Oh, Lee showed up. And, you know, is what I'm teaching going to be up to par with these guys? And, and are they going to absorb this? And are they going to want to want to keep learning? And, and both you guys, both you and Lee, always super encouraging. Hey, man, keep doing what you're doing. And and that's been huge for me, so I appreciate that. Yeah, it's definitely my pleasure. And I find that being a, a good student is is just as important as being a good instructor. Because, um, you know, for me, like, the, the biggest thing is, like, the vibe in the room. Right? Yeah. So, like, you know, people are intimidated by me just because I've been a black belt for so long. And the beard. The and beard, yeah. yeah. You, the beard I was going to say you look intimidating. <laughs> yeah, the beard. Because you got yeah. cauliflower ear and this yeah. big beard. <laughs> as, as a security guy, you got to look as ugly as possible. Yeah, yeah. sure. Pull that off with yeah. the beard and the ears. But, you know, like the, the vibe is, is super important, you know. And, and you know, I'm not going to be here forever and I'm, and I'm not teaching the class, you know what I mean? And my job in the Army actually for a long time as a combatant instructor was to go QA, QC programs. I would go yeah. see and 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 talk to instructors about the way they taught yeah you know what i mean so I, i'm super encouraging when it comes to that because it helps grow the sport it helps grow it helps grow the program and and to me that's that's the most important thing about being a black belt mm. is that that doesn't stop with me you know the next generation is really where we're all of this yeah stuff i love exists. that man i love that that's beautiful yeah mm-hmm. very cool uh follow-up question with the mentorship so you mentioned some of the guys that have mentored you through through your career and through your time in jiu-jitsu and um, what are the characteristics that you see in those people that that you try to have yourself? Uh, the the first thing that I think that is important in a mentor is is selflessness. Is they have to generally care about about your evolution. Okay, you know what I mean. There there are some guys who will help you because it's gonna later further their their career. You can kind of feel that. You know what I mean. Like I want you to be a, I want you to be a good. Um, accountant so that you can help me make more money you know i want you to i want to i want you to be a better athlete so that it looks me looks makes me look like a better coach mm-hmm. um i could always feel that i could always feel people like when they really they're working for themselves not really caring about your you know your progression mm. um so that's that's what i look for is you, 
in what they're saying is it is there is what they're saying for me or is it really for them yep uh, so selflessness is, is definitely the, the first thing i look for um the second thing i look for in a mentor is like accessibility you know can i can i talk to this person anytime you know is it is it going to be is it going to seem inconvenient if i try to talk to them mm. You know, so those are the, really the two things. I didn't think about that, but that's a really good point. It's like, yeah. I don't, I don't want to feel like a burden on this person that I'm coming to for guidance. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. And, and like, I, I try to be that person too. It, it's hard. It's hard to, to be accessible sometimes, you know, especially when it comes to, to martial arts. Like, hey, can you hold this for me? And I'm like, well, when? You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you can feel like, well, never mind. Mm -hmm. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, hey, will you roll with me? Like, what day? You know, like, what, what are you doing right now? Like, why? You know, like, yeah. You know, I, I try not to be that dude. I try to make myself super accessible. I, I have a gym in my basement specifically for that. You know, like, guys, hey, can you hold this for me? Like, when? Right now. Okay, come on. Oh, over. dude, we got to come train at your house. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. I got a awesome. nice sign and everything. That'd be cool. awesome. Yeah. I call yeah. it the unfinished basement. Yeah, nice. I'm in. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's super awesome. But yeah, the, I would say those those two things, you know. Um, success is, uh, and people look for, uh, you know, success in their mentor. Is my mentor successful? Um, there's so many degrees to that. You know what I mean? Somebody's opinion of success. Is well, that's one of the things John and I talked yeah. about prior is like competency. They've yeah, got to be sure. at a certain level of competency for me to trust that they're going to be able to mentor me in a certain topic. So, Absolutely. Yeah. You know what's interesting though is like competency, they really just have to be better than you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. you can have a good mentor who's like, just a little bit better than you, but they're accessible. They're good at teaching. Yeah. You know what I mean? I like what you said about accessibility. Accessibility because it's like, yeah, I, I really... Some people aren't very enthusiastic about teaching. I was expressing the last mm -hmm. time we spoke was like, man, I know a lot of good firefighters, a lot of good black belts that really have no interest in how I'm progressing. Right. But that part of that accessibility is like, man, I care about this person. I care about how good they are at arm bars now. I care about how good the rear naked choke is getting. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and absolutely. moving forward from that. So Yeah. I also feel like that accessibility sometimes is earned though too. Like I've had similar experiences on the fire department where some of my best mentors, it took months to warm up to that person yeah. and develop a relationship. But like once that barrier was broken, then all of a sudden they're as accessible as they can be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? The, you know, there's, there's a, a sense of paying your dues. Right. You know what I mean? Like kind of going back to your, your experience with, you know, Barrett Yoshida, and, yeah. you know, kind of being part of the, the group first before somebody opens up to you in that way. Yeah. And, and it's like when I used to, when I used to train down in Fort Benning, uh, we ran a gym and people would come in and we just beat them up. You know what I mean? We just beat them up because we're we're more interested in our club as opposed to a, you know an actual business. Yeah. So guys would get beat up and they'd leave. They beat up, we beat them up and they'd leave, and it was like funny for us. But then as we had this one guy, we just kept coming back. Yeah, man. But we beat him up. Mm -hmm. He's back, back the next day. Beat him up. Yeah, coming back. That. You know what I mean? For all, and you know because because of that trend, I didn't really learn these guys' names. You know, they would show up and they'd tell me their names, and I was just you know pig headed, just like I, I guess I was brought up. You know, at, mm. at, you know at grappling unlimited uh, but then this guy just kept coming back and my friends kept bringing him up hey you know you know this dude tim i'm like no nah, who's which one's that and they would have to say oh it's the big guy that we beat up yesterday or whatever um but after a year he kept coming back and you know we ended up becoming really close friends because of it um but it was you know that accessibility mm -hmm. you gotta earn more that and more absolutely yeah. right. well it's funny that you say that too because even our shared mentor right now marcelo is very much in that mentality absolutely you earn, guys yeah. that that aren't willing to come in and work and drill and be there, you know, four or five, six days a week, he's not going to show a lot of interest. And the guys I've seen have disagreements with him in the past are the guys that weren't willing to do that. Yeah, honestly. Sure. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. And, and I, I definitely felt that, you know, he's at which, you know, he's been in this game for a long time and, and uh, you know, we've all been hurt by somebody that we, we kind of opened the door for him too early. And, you know, I, I, I think we're always afraid of that thing. And, even with me, he's been he's been super protective, but it's been it's paid off. You know, it's been ten years, and now he's like he's doors are wide open for mm -hmm. me. Yeah, man. All the three of my kids train there now. Yeah, I have three yeah kids man. That train with him now because yeah, he loves having you train there. We yeah, love we have train that, there. That, that common respect yeah. now. It's but it's it's awesome, and I'm super glad that I earned it the way I did, as opposed to you know just just getting everything for free. It, it feels, feels so much better. better when oh, you yeah. earn it. We were oh, we were literally so before you came over, we were drilling, um, and we had a very similar discussion of like. Well, why does your professor open up to you? You know, why does your professor take extra time? Yeah. In some people's eyes, that almost looks like favoritism. But the reality is, is what you don't realize when you see that it's sort the hardest of thing worker is, in the room, man. Right. That's who I'm attention that to. person is willing to pour into you because you showed them that you have a passion for something. Absolutely. You know, they want to work hard to make you better because you've shown an interest as opposed to somebody who thinks that they walk into a room and they've earned it. You know what yeah. I mean? And I just feel like 
culturally that's kind of a thing that's, that's happening right now is people think that they should just be entitled to something yeah. instead yeah. of having to earn it. You it's, know a, I mean? it's a very American uh, thing, you know, like, yeah. I, I deserve this because yeah. I'm an American. I right. paid $20. Let's yeah. get full access. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. You know, right. as a head of security, I get this all the time. Guys will pay VIP. You know, they'll, they'll pay for a VIP meet and greet and they, you can just see them like, I deserve all of this. I yeah. deserve all of Ivan's attention and I need autographs from everybody. Like, bro, you're in a line. Yeah. Yeah. With 50 other people. Other yeah, people pay too. Lots of you, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. hurry up. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Get, yeah. Move. Get out of the way. Like, <laughs> yeah. what else do you want? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so they, they're getting what, what they paid for, right. but they want more and they want more. Um, I mean, I, I, obviously, that's one way to, to get something is to pay for it, but that doesn't work in martial arts. Yeah. The only yeah. way you're going to pay for it is to sweat, mm-hmm. you know, sweat, blood, sweat, and tears. It's Certainly. How, it's how you get attention from us. You know right. what I mean? Right. Yeah, that's cool. Um, my next question, and, and this will allow you an opportunity to kind of expand on this opportunity too, but so you did you just recently become an instructor for Sheepdog Response with Tim Kennedy's company? Yeah, it was just this year. Um uh, Tim and I have been operating in the same circles for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, I I uh, I was there when he fought uh, Damian Stelly for the very first 185 pound Army Championship. Nice. Mm-hmm. And nice. I ran that tournament. You nice. Know, yeah. was either, I ran that tournament. I was actually the announcer for that for that for that fight. Um, we've been operating in the same circles for a long time. Um, uh, up until pandemic. I was too busy to do anything else. You know, I was just, I was touring every two or three months for two or three months, depending on what it was. And in between, I would get some training in. And that's it. That was my life was, you know, I have, I have three kids or I have four kids at home now. And my life just revolved around touring and spending time with the kids. Um, the pandemic actually allowed me to, to, to broaden my horizons a little bit. And I found, I saw that she, I was looking for an instructor. Mm-hmm. They're looking for a black belt with tactical experience. Perfect. That's you, guy. man. You're I'm like, in. I know a guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's funny. A lot of my friends were tagging me in that stuff too. And uh, I, I applied for the job. And he has. We have a lot of uh, we have a lot of mutual friends. And actually, they're the other ones that kind of helped me out. They hit him yeah. up and was like, "Hey, Yako's available. He, That's he's, cool. He's this guy. He was the the Godfather <clears throat> combative, black belt in jujitsu, mm. MMA, tactical experience, was a Safao instructor. Yeah. Um. So they they bring me out. I I could do my first class. I think it was, it was in Augusta, Georgia. And he he fell in love with me. You nice. Know what I mean, like I was able to show him my experience as a as a jujitsu and uh, tactical instructor, and it fit right into what to what he's teaching as far as a program is concerned. You know, situational awareness, mm. uh, combatives, which is what I do, and then um, and some range stuff. You know, the I needed some. I still need some work on the range stuff, but I, you know, being an instructor. Um, and I could teach anything. I could teach anything. Yeah. Give me, give me some slides and I'll teach you a class, right. whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Even if cool. I know nothing about it. Yeah. 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 You know what I mean? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and that's but, a skill yeah. too. I mean, you've been teaching for a long time and that takes a while to develop that, you know, being that comfortable with mm-hmm. people and comfortable with passing information to people. That's true. Jiu-jitsu, shooting, tactical, mm-hmm. combatives, whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. So my next question kind of goes, it, well, it, it pairs right into it, but real quick, for anybody who doesn't know, um, Sheepdog Response is a company owned by Tim Kennedy. He's a, a Green Beret. Uh, I think he's still, is he still in the Army? He is still in the Army. Okay, still in the Army. Uh, was a middleweight in the UFC, was ranked in the top stud. 10 for a while. He's a black belt in jiu-jitsu, so just a stud. And Actually, um, I've thought about taking Sheepdog Level 1, which I think is now Protector 1. Yep. Right? They changed the name. Oh, dude, I'll take um, it with you. Yeah, let's yeah. go. John yeah. and I are tactical. Oh, totally, yeah. dude. We took yeah. one defensive pistol <laughs> course. One, we had one pistol course <laughs> under our belts. So. Um, so going along with that, especially with the Sheepdog mentality and, and Sheepdog Level 1 or Protector Level 1, um, what do you think an average civilian should do to prepare themselves for self-defense? You know, because I think in today's world, you know, we live in a changing world. At the same time, I don't think it's a, it's realistic to expect that people are going to dedicate years of their lives to martial arts per se. You know, I would love if everybody became at least a blue belt, but I don't think that's going to happen. So, and shooting too. Like, I think people should have a proficiency in shooting. But you being an instructor and being in that world for a really long time, like, what do you think an average civilian should do to prepare themselves for self-defense? Uh, so the, the, the biggest thing is situational awareness. You know, there's people that are oblivious, right? You can see these kids walking down the street all the time. They have their AirPods in and their faces buried in their phone. Um, and they're just walking down the street oblivious to what's going on. So I think the the first and most important thing is situation awareness. Mm. People have to learn to be aware of their surroundings. Uh, people around them 
allow themselves to use their senses at, at all times. You know, if I, if I can't see what's going on, if I can't hear, you know, those are the, the two biggest things, you know, like what's you know, the smells, different smells, you know, but situation awareness obviously is the first thing is, is people need to teach themselves to be aware of their surroundings and, and get out of, get out of their phones. That's the first thing. The second thing, you know, there, there are, um, basic principles in self-defense that, that jujitsu teaches. And like you said, you know, it'd be awesome if everybody was a brown, a blue belt, mm -hmm. brown belt would be even better. But yeah, of <laughs> yeah. course. It's a blue yep. belt. Yep. But that's, you know, that everybody has their role in society and it's not realistic for, you know, a, a maid to be a blue belt in jujitsu. It's not, it's not, it's not realistic. And, you know, from the beginning of time, there's always been people that, that are hunters. There's people that are gatherers. There are people that are weavers and there are people that are warriors, you know, mm -hmm. so our warriors definitely, uh, need to, to be proficient um but the average person just needs to be aware mm. they need to be aware of what shoes they're wearing when they're going out they need to be aware of what time it is what you know where are they walking around at yeah, what part going of town by themselves? Going to, yeah. just those things alone will will stop it from being robbed mm. or mugged or raped or or stuff like that you know and that's one mm -hmm. of those things that i teach my kids you know the they're six people in my family and four of us have long hair down to our butts mm. you know so the stuff that i teach those those people as far as like how to get their hair back from people grabbing their hair you know we'll watch we'll watch uh, street fights where hair pulling is isn't you know, yeah, yeah it happens and mm -hmm. i'm like let's see what's going on right here yeah. and I, I coach my kids and and my wife through these things so that they're more aware i should start trying to choke you with that beard when we roll yeah. at prime you know, yeah this <laughs> is definitely <laughs> so, yeah it's definitely a, a liability Fair when game, i'm rolling right? and, yeah. and, and fighting and, and i train around it you know, yeah. I train around my beard getting grabbed. You yeah. Know? And yeah. That's just what, what we do as fighters. Um, but those types of things need to be brought to light to the average citizen. Yeah. I think that's a great point. I mean, one of the things that I've observed is like people who love to shoot sometimes are like way overweight. You know what I mean? So it's like, okay, they've got a gun, but if they have to run, they have to run away from something like that's yeah. not going to happen. And then on the opposite side of the spectrum, you've got people who do jujitsu, but it's sport jujitsu. Yeah. And they think like sport jujitsu is what's going to keep them safe. And I just feel like the situational awareness portion is huge because like you said, yeah, most don't people put yourself don't in those it. situations. Don't ever. Yeah. yeah. You know, like I think, um, riots are a great example or not riots, protests, let's say like, don't put yourself there in the first place. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Um, but I think like something that I've been trying to, to adopt in the last couple of years is I don't want to just do jujitsu. I want to know how to shoot and I want to know how to defend myself. But the situational awareness piece for us, I think just is part of our job. Yeah. So like we totally, totally overlook like overlook that. That's such a, such a good thing to bring up because I think a lot of times people think self-defense, they think guns, martial arts, but the self or the, excuse me, the awareness piece gets totally overlooked. Well, some of the most aware guys I've met so far have been firefighters who've been on a lot of calls, right? Who are just like, Hey man, you need to, you know, check those rooms. Like mm -hmm. how, they'll ask me, how many, how many weapons did you see in that room, John? We're right. picking up that patient. Oh, I wasn't, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. There were four, there was two knives on the bedstand. There was a decorative katana on right. the, you know, on the dresser or whatever. And I'm like, Oh man, I got to start, I got to start thinking about these yeah, things, paying attention around, to right. these things. Or even yeah. something as simple as like, where do you stand when you go on a medical call? You knock on the door and you get out of the way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't want them opening up that door line of sight with me. Yeah, we don't, know who, we don't yeah. know who we're going in with. So. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point that I think most people don't think about. Yeah, and one of the things I bring up too is like, you know, situation awareness changes when I'm by myself. And then it changes when I have my kids. You know, which kid do I have? You know, do I have the four-year-old who can't keep up with me when we run? Mm. You know what I mean? Or do I have my daughter who's, who's just as fast as I am? You yeah. know what I mean? So it's, it's just one of those things, unfortunately, <clears throat> that we have to bring up. You know, like you said with the protests and the, the climate that we're going in uh, with the active shooters, you know, active shooter training. Um, even that being brought up kind of changes my kids going to school now. You know, so I have to teach my kids that their situation awareness to school has to change. And, yeah. you know, like that's why i always say too like that fighting is a, is a great analogy for life um as an mma guy you know i can't be i can't be tunnel vision on my jujitsu i can't be tunnel vision mm -hmm. on my kickboxing i can't mm -hmm. be tunnel vision on my on my boxing i have to you know pull myself out of the situation see what's going on around me and and adapt to to the changes of the fight and i think that that's that's the the big lesson is you know like it's not about you mm. it's really not about you right. you know like pull yourself out of the situation look around, you know, let's, let's look at this thing as a globe, as, a, as opposed to a, a flat surface. Mm. And, um, that'll, that'll make you better prepared for what, what's, what could happen. Right. Yeah. I love that. Um, last question of mine, 
Um, I know I got my jiu-jitsu black belt almost exactly two years ago. I know what it means to me. It was huge for me. I put a lot of work into it. Um, you got your jiu-jitsu black belt in 2010. You spoke about that a little bit. You spoke about Matt Larson giving it to you later, Jacques Array giving it to you. What is that? What did it mean to you then? What does it mean to you now? Um, so I think that with most of us that get our black belts, we're not ready. I felt the same way. Right. I was like, it was. I was telling him last week. It was Marcelo telling me, "Hey man, I'm giving you your black belt," and I was yeah. just like, "Oh man, that's a lot." Yeah, yeah that's a lot. Right. Yeah. So, so I was. I was not ready. I was not ready. I was a. Uh, um, I was in the position where I was running the the whole program for the army, um, and I, I I've taught thousands and thousands of people to fight or you know something at that point, and you know. I was very successful at my, you know, my jujitsu and MMA career. I, you know, I got over forty MMA fights and, and. Oh, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, I got a lot yeah. of fights. Forty. Yeah. yeah. Holy, I was like that's 20, awesome. Went like twenty and three as an amateur, um, and then like fifteen and five as a pro. Love okay. it, dude. I got that's a lot awesome. of fights. I got a lot yeah. of MMA fights. Um, did you fight any big names? Um, who did I fight? I fought Douglas Lima. Okay. Okay. Um, who was you He's know legit. Fight, Probably ranked number two in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. As a uh, as a welterweight, I fought him a long time ago, and if you watched the fight, I was beating him thoroughly, and then yeah. he guillotined me. Oh. Um, but I lost that fight without getting hit once. Nice, you know, nice. I, I dude. took him down. Nice. I ground Love and pounded it. him. I was ground and pounding him, and uh, he was able to get up, and I shot in again, and he guillotined me. Oh. Uh, so it was, but it was, you know, that, that's probably my biggest name. Mm. But I fought guys like John Salter, who fought in the UFC a couple mm -hmm. times, and uh, he's a pretty well known jujitsu guy right now too. Love it. Um, but yeah, so like I wasn't ready to get my black belt, and just like I tell everybody else who gets promoted to whatever belt it is, it's not up to you, mm. you know. So whoever gave me my black belt decided that I was ready for it and that I deserved it. Um, but I got it, and since then, my job has been to to pass it on. You know, is now I can't just sit at home. I can't sit at home and and hold my black belt secrets in the basement. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I have to yeah. go out and, and train with people. That's why I, I train all over the place. I yep. train all over the world. I have trained all over the world, and I train at a bunch of different gyms in the Springs. And, yep. you know, I have a couple black belts myself, and I have, like, I think I have four black belts now. And for me, it's really about teaching what I know to those guys, to mm -hmm. pass it on to the next group. You know? yeah. I've got three kids in jiu-jitsu, um, one, one in wrestling, and I'm always trying to you know, pass the information on. Your kids are at prime, right? You mentioned that. Yeah, three yeah. of them are at prime. My daughter's yeah. a wrestler. She doesn't want to do jiu-jitsu. Love it. Is wrestling. Wrestling is legit. Wrestling's good She's like, this is a little kid sport. Yeah. I'm like, I'm yeah. 42. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, yeah, but. Yeah, yeah you're you know. a little kid, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. she loves wrestling. She, she grew up, you know, she was raised in the gym with me. But, you know, for me, it's about spreading the word. It's about, you know, what do I know as a black belt? Whatever it is, it doesn't belong to me anymore. It belongs to everybody else. It belongs mm -hmm. to to my students uh, when I have them, and it belongs to whoever I can share it to. So if you ever train with me or roll with me, I don't hold anything in my you know in my pocket. Like, mm -hmm. what do you want to know? Yeah. Hey, how did you get that submission? Well, this is the way I set yeah. it up, mm -hmm. and this is how I finished it. How yeah. did you get that sweep? This is how well, I, and I can that. feel that the whole time you and I have been training, and it's been it's been wonderful because it's always this environment of okay, maybe. You know, John's got something to show me today, or I mean, I'm really excited to learn from Yako today and see what he's got to show me today. Mm -hmm. And it's always it's a learning environment, and that's that's how you really get better at jujitsu. Yeah, yeah, for so. sure, and, and that's why I continue to train. I continue to train at all these places and and train with guys like you because I I can learn something mm -hmm. new. I can learn something from everybody, and if I can't if I can do that, then I can pass that information on. Yeah. Um. So that's that's what it is for me to be a black belt. I love it. Learn man. whatever you can, which is why I can I train just about every single day, and. Um, and teach it to somebody else. Cool. I love it. Now, now this I'm, I'm only thinking of this because you mentioned your daughter's wrestling. She doesn't want to do jiu-jitsu. I'm speaking from a grappling perspective. Yeah. I'm not speaking from an MMA perspective. I've known you for a long time. I think I knew you back when I was still doing striking and stuff, but I'm speaking from a grappling perspective. I mean, and tell me if you think I'm wrong. I believe if you're training jiu-jitsu correctly, it is wrestling. It is judo. It is Sambo. Those other grappling arts. I mean, I'll go as far as to say it is sumo wrestling. Yeah. Right? Those other grappling arts are all a part of jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu is, if you're training it correctly, is an encompassment of all grappling arts brought together. What, what are your thoughts on that? Um, there is a, a commonality between all of those uh, those grappling arts. Um, it's just what is the end game, right? So yeah. that's why the, the more well-rounded we are, you know, the the more we we're proficient in these things, you know. So in sambo, you can't 
there's no chokes, right? There's no chokes from the back. So those yeah. guys don't take the back. Yep. You know what I mean? In in judo, there's really no grappling on the ground. That's yep. why you know, you'll see really, really good jiu-jitsu guys be successful in judo once it goes Yeah, Travis Stevens is a great example of that. He's Absolutely. Good, good Nawaz, a good over-under pass they learned from Bernardo Faria that he took to the Olympics there you in go. judo. So, right? Yeah. So like, there's like the commonality is that I'm putting my hands on somebody and we're doing whatever it is. You know yeah. what I mean? So um jujitsu really if you if you break down the word you know we're talking about the the art you know it's, it's really the art of, of grappling um the art of fighting um and, and that's one of those things we talk about with the evolution of of judo and jujitsu because judo comes from jujitsu certainly it's just a different it's just a different uh end game. Yeah. you know what i mean yeah. judo was was designed to uh, allow japanese uh japanese soldiers to continue to train but um also become better people you yeah, know what I mean, so, you could even argue the simple simplify the end games today is more like, am I trying to pin this individual or am I trying to submit this individual? Right. So. Yeah, so that's the, I think that's the main difference between all these grappling arts. Yeah, is, end game. You know, am I trying to score points? Or am I trying to finish the fight? Am I trying to submit them? Um, and even in jujitsu, you'll see the different rule sets. You know, like there's there's many different uh, grappling or- organizations with different rule sets because they want the the end game to be whatever it is they're doing you know yeah so you still see stuff like the ebi where it's submission only or or the ibjjf where the point systems are a certain way or, yeah. or the fight to win where the point systems are the same way but the judging is different you know? yeah. so it just depends on uh on what you as an individual are interested in and uh what rule set do you want to follow love it and i was going to say i think the caveat to what you said was if you're training it correctly so if you're training it correctly, like right. I don't, I don't agree when guys just come in and like, you know me, I've been begging Ramiko for wrestling information for 10 years now. Yeah. You know, he obviously is a phenomenal instructor and he gives me whatever I want to know. But I really believe that if you want to be a jiu-jitsu black belt, you, you better have some proficiency in wrestling and you better, or, or you better have some proficiency in judo because you want to make your jiu-jitsu applicable in all scenarios. And I'm not going to get in a, altercation where I'm, I'm getting mugged or whatever obviously i'm gonna try to talk myself out of those situations but i'm not going to pull guard right. right and be on my back and be in this non-dominant position i want to be able to take an individual down and apply my jiu-jitsu and wrestling and judo are the the connections to being able to do that so yeah and that, that comes down to you're prepared for you're trying to prepare yourself for a certain thing yes um there are jujitsu guys that aren't and i just I, mean? I don't agree with that they're at all. oblivious yeah. i want to say they're oblivious you, the <clears throat> average person won't won't get involved in that you know yeah. less than one percent of people are, are are um are put in a position where they're in an active shooter situation you yeah. know what i mean so it doesn't make sense for a hundred percent of us to to be proficient in that stuff. Mm, yeah. You know what I mean? It just depends. It just, it just, whatever you decide holds weight. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm kind of the same way. Like, uh, I'm an MMA guy. So for me, like, my jujitsu is based around me being able to punch people in the face. Yeah, mm-hmm. certainly. You know what I mean? I'm going to get on top. Stay on top. And I can only yeah. get on top if right. I can take you down. Yeah, exactly. You know, so I have, I have a huge importance on, mm-hmm. on wrestling and on takedown defense right. because yep. I want to be, be able to sit on top of your head yep. and cave it in with my fists. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> Love, that makes it, sense. Love it. Yep. <laughs> Well, I've got one more question for you, and then we'll wrap up. So you said you're 42 years old? Yeah. Okay. If you were to go back in time and give your 18-year-old self some advice, what would it be? Hmm. What would I tell 18-year-old Yako? Hmm. Well, it's weird because I didn't start training really until I was 21. You know what I mean? I think just like the rest of us, we wish we would have started sooner. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I more just meant like in life. If you were to give life. some pearls of wisdom... It could be jujitsu. It could be anything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So my, my stepdad gave me some information when I when I left the house when I was seventeen. He said, "Don't get married, don't have kids." I think I would have. I'll tell my I would tell eighteen year old the same the same thing. Don't get, <laughs> at least I don't get married. Bob. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. What I mean? um, I, I I love my kids, and I, I actually always wanted them, so I would still have kids. But I don't think I would have ever got married, honestly. Yeah, uh, it just gets You're in the way. You're a free spirit. Man. Yeah. You're a free yeah. spirit. Yeah, I would. You know what I mean? This is you know like, what? I'll, I'll take that advice. Yeah, love love is yeah. love, and uh, yeah. uh, I love my kids, and I, I'm glad. If it's I have, good, it's good. If it's bad, it can just, be real bad. You know, relationships get in the way, man. That's true. You well, I mean? I mean, not always. I mean, I was gonna say I'm happily married, but yeah. I could totally understand. Like, if you don't have the right person, it can be pretty bad. Yeah, as, as a young person, I think that. Uh, you definitely don't need to get married. I got married at 20 years old um, to somebody I didn't know very very long. And, and really, I'm, that's what I'm talking about is don't get married. Don't rush into until it. Until you're ready. Right. right? Yeah. Until right. you're ready to settle down, really. Um, 
that's really what I mean. I've been married to my wife now for 15 years, and we have we have, you know, we have a great family. Um, but I think I would have, I would have emphasized that to 18 year old yeah. Yako, like, listen, you need to chill, like, do your yeah. thing, mm-hmm. do your thing. Yeah, but be you for a while, figure out who yeah. you are. Yeah, yeah. 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 On my second marriage, now that first one kind of was like a little waste of my time. A How old were you when you got married the second time? I was 28. Okay. And you felt better 26. then. 26. You felt better then. I think that 26 year old Yako was ready yeah. to get married. Yeah, twenty-year yeah. Yako definitely wasn't. Well, they say emotionally you're not even developed till you're like twenty-five. Yeah, no, so that makes sense. Even then, I was you know even I was thirty-two before I figured out who I was. Yeah, you know what I mean. It, it's as simple as I'm I'm confident in wearing this shirt that I I bought. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like yeah. that's really when I was like, okay, I bought this shirt and I put it on, and I was thirty-two years old, and I was like, this is okay, I'm comfortable now. Yeah, that's up an, until then, really, I was like, what am go. I wearing a shirt for? Self-conscious. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective because I'm nearing thirty. And I would have never done this podcast five years ago because yeah. I'd be too worried like, hey, I do this podcast and what are people going to say about yeah. it? What are people going to think about it? But I think at some point it's weird. It's like it just clicks. You, you just caring. don't care anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's, a, it's yeah. a freeing thing. It's not that you don't care. It's just that you're, you're, you're comfortable. You're yeah. comfortable in who you are. You're and confident enough in yourself. Make, right? yeah. You know what I mean? So imagine I'm 42. So only in the last 10 years I've been comfortable with myself. Right. You know what I mean? Only in the last ten years have I have I been uh, making decisions based on my my wants and needs. Yeah. Before that, who who knows? Mm-hmm. You know, I was borrowing people's shirts back then. You know yeah. what I mean? And I think that self confidence and self identification um, was super important in, in me evolving in the last ten years. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, but that's man. all we have for formal questions. Is there anything else you want to add? No, I just, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you guys are doing this and, and bringing um, attention to the importance of mentorship and and the evolution of, of a person as a fighter, uh, as an adult. And uh, I'm glad that you guys do this and I appreciate you guys having yeah. me. Yeah, yeah thanks, thanks for we'll coming. Have, we'll have you on again sometime. We yeah, appreciate it. for sure. Yeah, this is thank the you. end. All right. Thank you. And thank you. thanks for everybody for tuning in.